In the 1970s, in the 1970s, we played a game called kickball. Kickball. It involved, so kickball is basically baseball with a giant rubber ball. So the pitcher rolls the ball along the ground. I'm explaining this for young people. And it rolls along the ground. And when you're up to bat, you kick the ball. Now, the way it worked back in the 1970s in school is that the gym teacher or the teacher would select two captains to start the game off. And each captain that would alternate back and forth and pick from the people in the class who they wanted to be on their team. As it turned out, year after year, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, guess who got picked last? Oh, okay, some of you, there's some other last one picks. Okay, you're not alone today. <laughs> Me too. Um, so I remember those moments. I, and I didn't know the word for it. So I knew I was hard for me to get a ball where I wanted it to go. It was hard for me to catch a ball. My dad didn't play ball with me. It was just a thing, right? Okay. And so when they were doing the pick thing, I found that I would just look at my shoes. Like I didn't want to look either captain in the eye because I knew and they knew how it was all going to shake out, right? <laughs> and so I would look at my shoes and I could just feel my heart pounding in my chest, kind of hoping that maybe this time I'd be like next to last, right? Because so, then, aha, you're last, like, you know, as if that helped at all, right? And so you may not know this, but there are actually physical symptoms of shame. When you're feeling a little ashamed or shame, you can get dry mouth. Uh, time can seem to just slow down your heart will race or pound in your chest. Uh, some people experience twitching. Um, the guy who was uh, uh, the boss of D Inspector Clouseau, right? <clears throat> Always twitched, right? You could experience twitching, uh, looking down, not wanting to have eye contact, tunnel vision. These are all symptoms of shame. And I want to remind you that shame does a couple of things. Shame has a couple of tapes that are playing in your head all the time. And the first tape is you are not enough. You are not enough. You're not fast enough, smart enough, pretty enough, good enough, capable enough. You are not enough. And if somehow you manage to just kick that to the curb and you get a little freedom from that, there's another question that kind of rears its ugly head and it's who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to even speak to your kids, given the kind of parent you are? Who do you think you are to, you know, and so that question, those two things just go over and over and over again. Shame is the feeling that an obese person has in the gym the first time they show up. Shame is the feeling that a young woman has at her 10th wedding as a bridesmaid over a two-year period, and there's still no boyfriend on the horizon. Shame is the feeling that a 60-year-old man has who got laid off in 2008, 2009 when the Great Recession hit, and because of his age, no one wants to touch him with a 10-foot pole. And every time somebody asks him, so what do you do? There it is. It's right there in that moment. For those of you that are younger, middle school and high school, shame is the feeling that you have when your brother, sister, cousin, the all-star, they're brought up in conversation. 
and you feel less because of it. Or here's something that you may not know. So if you're in middle school or high school, parenting's gotten tougher than it used to be because of the spreads of the ages of my children. I know this, so it was a little easier on the older than it is on the youngest. So parenting's a little harder. And so we parents, you know, are always looking for how can we leverage things. And so sometimes parents will say things that we are hoping to motivate you to do the things you want to do. So like, um, I know parents will sometimes, so a Uh, you're, as a student, maybe you just didn't try, you blew off the assignment, so you get a C. You were capable of doing better. You could have done better, but you just didn't because you didn't care or whatever. And so the parent will say something like, what do you want to work at McDonald's your whole life? Now, in that moment, they're trying to motivate you, right, to do what they, you should do. But on the receiving end, what are you hearing? You're hearing, oh, you don't think I'm capable, right? And so again, there it is, shame playing out in our relationships. And so, you can develop over time this sense of shame because of what's said to you, because of what's been done to you, because of what you've experienced. Um, And you come to believe certain things about yourself. One of the things I believed about myself for the longest time is, I'm not an athlete. I'm not athletic. It's not me. Here's the thing. 90% of the thoughts that you have in your head about yourself aren't even true. 90% of the things that you think about yourself in your head aren't even true. And so you're going to need the help of your brain. And I'm going to get to talk about brains in church today. I'm so excited. But you're going to need the help of your brain to break and diminish the power of shame in your life. And that's today's big idea. You're going to need the help of your brain. Here's the thing about 2019 America. In 2019 America, everybody checks their brain at the door. And they just follow their heart and follow their feelings. And you can't do that. If you check your brain at the door and you just go with where you are emotionally, shame is going to whip your butt. Shame is going to beat the tar out of you. And so you've got to enlist the help of your brain. Now, I'm going to talk about brains for a moment, and I'm stealing shamelessly from uh, Chuck Colson and then a guy named Greg Boyd, who's a pastor in the frozen tundras of Minnesota. Ooh, and it even snowed yesterday. Okay, (laughs) I'm still getting my brain around that. So in case you are new to Christianity, I need to explain this to you. There are actually two parts to reality. There's the part that you can see. Oh, look, here's a chair. I could put this chair on a scale. I can weigh it. I can see it. Oh, it's got that 25-year-old country club smell to it. (laughs) Okay? And I can stand on it, right? It it it, It occupies space in our physical reality. Okay? So there's the physical reality. And then there's the part, any of you see God today? I mean, physically, no, right? And so love, how about that, right? And so there's these things that you can't see but are also real. And so reality has two parts. Now, you, because you're made in God's image, you also have two parts. You have a body. And then there's the part of you that is connected to your body because you're an integrated being, but that people can't see. And here's the exciting thing. Your brain has got a foot in both parts of reality. So if I were to cut open your skull, pull the lid off and suck out your brain, which would be bad for you, and then put that brain on a plate, it would be about three pounds of gray matter. But your brain also is connected to your consciousness and this spirit unseen part of you, even though it, it, it occupies space inside your skull. So your brain is one of these few things that's, you know, it's, 
it's kind of cool, okay? So here's what you need to know. We actually have power over our brains. Okay, I know, some of you are like, you're stupid, Max. No, 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 come on. Close your eyes for a minute. We're gonna do an experiment right here in church. Close your eyes, close your eyes, close your eyes. Now, I want you to imagine an unripe green banana. Picture it in your head, in your brain. You got that green banana there? Now turn it into a ripe banana, yellow with some brown spots. Got the yellow ripe banana? Now, I want you to make the banana pink with black stripes. Can you do it? Boom, okay, open your eyes. Could you get the bananas? Did you get the banana? What? You just told your brain what to do. You told it to think of something and it thought it by your command. You just told your brain what to do and it did it, okay? So God has actually given us authority over our brains, um, which is why in the New Testament, we're told that we can repent. The word for repent means to change your mind. It's why we're told in the New Testament that we should allow God to transform us by the changing of our mind, by the way we think, okay? Now, here's the problem. Most of what we put into our brains is garbage. Come on. Most of what we put into our brains is garbage. Things that are said to us, things that are done to us, our experiences, the things that we watch, all of the social media that we consume. And we put all of this garbage in our brains. And if you have all this garbage in your brain before too long, you're starting to think of yourself as garbage. It's, it happens. And so I believe that there's a conflict that we've got to sort out and we have to have our brains help us. And that is, are we going to believe what all the garbage tells us who we are or are we going to believe what Jesus Christ tells us who we are? Because God is trying to tell us who we are and a lot of times we're just listening to the garbage that's in our head. Jesus Christ has more credibility than your sixth grade teacher. Jesus Christ has more credibility than your dad. Jesus Christ has more credibility than your friends on Facebook. Jesus Christ has more credibility than the Pinterest board that you have with everybody in their lives together on it, <laughs> that you wish your life could be that together. Jesus Christ has more credibility to that. Than that, And so I want us to look at some things Paul has to say that can help us retrain or reprogram or rewire our brain. And it's in Romans 8 and Romans 12. So he says this, and we're going to look at just five verses, okay? So uh, chapter 8, verse 5. So now there is no, uh, wait, verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things but those who are controlled by the holy spirit think about things that please the spirit in these next few verses paul is going to talk about spirit 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 the spirit is the holy spirit of god he uses it, he uses it 21 times in chapter 8 and then he's also going to talk about this thing that in the new living translation is called the sinful nature older people uh, know it you know, from the niv as the flesh right so there's either the spirit or the flesh. And, and the flesh or the sinful nature is this force uh, that influences how we think, how we make decisions, and, and how we behave. And he's making a contrast in this verse. So you can either be dominated by this sinful nature or you can be dominated by the Holy Spirit. 
who would you like to dominate you? <laughs> Garbage or God? You know, okay, and that's one of the big questions there. And one of the key differences is what they're thinking about. Okay, so let's go on to the next verse, verse 6. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to dun, 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 death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So the brain that thinks about the things that God thinks about is something that leads to flourishing and good stuff. The mind that thinks about garbage, that thinks about things that are hostile to God, it leads to death. So Paul, and he's going to, I'm going to get to this point, but Paul is kind of gearing up to say, stop thinking about the garbage and start thinking about the things that God thinks about and replace your thinking. And in this verse, he's telling us that uh, you can't be neutral. So for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Um, neutrality isn't possible. The sinful nature mindset, the sinful nature way of thinking always leads to death because it's hostile to God. And Paul says, you're not like that though. You're controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, and remember, those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong in Him at all. So, again, who is the Spirit that Paul is talking about in this chapter? The Spirit is the Holy Spirit, which is another way of saying God. So you have God inside of you who's also trying to speak to you and tell you who you are and tell you what's true and real. I have found that in my life, I often allow other people to tell me who I am rather than God. And when I allow other people and circumstances and social media and all this other stuff to tell me who I am, it never leads to my flourishing. It always leads to me feeling bad, feeling broken, needing medication, being crotchety, and then not treating the people in my life the way they should be treated. Why? Because my identity is all out of sorts and behavior flows from my identity, okay? So this is all connected. This is why Paul makes the case in Romans chapter 12, okay? And he says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So the behavior and customs of this world, I would just call it garbage. Let's call it what it is, garbage. The behavior and customs of this world are garbage. And if you have garbage in, you get garbage Oh, okay, you've heard of that, right, okay? So garbage is anything in your life that disagrees with what God says and with what Jesus Christ says. Um, let me just read off a few examples of what God says you are if you are in Christ Jesus. You are God's child. You have been united with the Lord and you're one with him in spirit. You have been brought with a, bought with a great price and you belong to God. You have direct access to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. You are free from condemnation. You are free from any condemnation that's brought against you and you cannot be separated from the love of God. 
you can be confident that God will complete the good work he has started in you. You've been chosen and appointed to bear fruit, and you are God's workmanship. If you really thought that and believed that, do you think you'd flourish a little more? Yes, you would. You would, okay? So this is why uh, mindset is so important. So how do you do that? How do you change the way that you think? Well, part of it is you've got to put God's thoughts in your head in the first place. Um, and that means knowing what God thinks. Here's the good news. Um, your brain has what scientists call neuroplasticity. I don't know if you've heard about that, but neuroplasticity means that you can rewire it to think in new and different ways, okay? So by changing the way that you think, you will get something. You will get to know God's will. And the word that Paul uses there really means you will get to experience God's will. So I don't want to talk about the will part for a minute, so just forget the word that he uses you're going to get something that, of God in your life that Paul describes three ways. It's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. Okay? So if you allow God to transform your thinking, right, you get to experience this thing of God that is good. Would you like something good in your life? Yes. <laughs> Something that is pleasing, and Paul means here pleasing to God. And I think it's helpful to, to even clarify it more because Jesus gives us the clearest picture of God pleasing to Jesus. Would you like something in your life that's pleasing to Jesus? I would. And then lastly, he says it's perfect. Now, because we're Americans, we come out of this Greco-Roman tradition, we think of perfection as without flaw. But the Hebrews and the early Christians thought of perfection this way. It's something that's complete, mature, and healthy. If something's perfect, it's complete, mature, and healthy. I don't know about you. I would love some complete, mature, and healthy in my life. Thank you very much. I would love that. Sign me up. Where can I go now? Sign me up. Okay, so in light of what Paul says, in light of what Paul says, let me ask a question. What directions do your thoughts typically take you to a good point of flourishing or to, let's just be honest, death. Where do your thoughts typically take you? And what are the things that you're believing about yourself that would cause you to feel shame? And then my second question is, what does shame feel like to you? Like, what are the symptoms that you have? For me, looking down, heart pounding, for you, is it dry mouth? What is it? What are the symptoms that you experience when you're feeling shame? And Brene Brown has some helpful questions along those lines. She says, if you could taste shame, what would it taste like? If you could smell shame, what would it smell like? If you could feel shame, uh, if you could touch it, what would it feel like? So what do we do with this? I want to offer some practical, practical advice in light of what Paul says about allowing yourself to be transformed by changing the way you think. First, you've got to know what God thinks. This is why Bible reading is so important. This is why I promised a steak dinner to anyone who read the, the Bible this year. I will buy you the best steak I can afford because 
Getting God's thoughts in your brain is an important step toward thinking the way that God thinks and seeing the way God sees. And I'm going to tell you the way God sees things is the way things are, not as the way things appear. Okay, and so if you don't read and reading's not your thing, you can, with your phone, there are so many apps where on the way to work or on your way around, you can just have it spoken to you in your earpiece or on your speakers, okay? This is why we promote the Bible Project, but, but Bible intake is huge, getting God's thoughts. And, and, and you'll find sprattered around the room, there are these handouts these are like almost 150 different things that God thinks about you if you are in Christ Jesus. This is an excellent resource. Now, I got to bring up the hash marks from last week. Last week, I asked you to keep track of the number of times a day that you felt shame, okay? Some of you have already said to me, why did you give me a three by five card? I needed like 11 by 17 paper and I needed it about 15 pages. This was inadequate. So I hear you, okay? So I kept track. Um, and one of the things that I noticed this was that some days had a lot less shame than others days, right? So I want you to take a next... So the, one of the reasons I had you do that by way of reminder is I wanted to pose the question and, 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 and state a belief that I have, and that is... I believe that most of us are allowing shame to speak to us more than we're allowing Jesus to speak to us, okay? And I think it's really important that you allow Jesus to speak to you. So taking this assignment to the next level would be this. Um, and I'm gonna skip down to three. Document the beliefs and thoughts that you have about yourself. So when you're in those shame moments and you're feeling it, what exactly is it that you believe? And I'm going to ask you to write it down. And the reason I'm going to ask you to write it down is for, for uh, two, two, two reasons, actually. One is sometimes when you write that belief down on a piece of paper and it's staring you in the face, in that moment you go, that is so stupid. That is so not true. Like just seeing it on paper, it's one thing to think it. It's another thing to say it out loud. And then when you write it down and you see it on the paper, you're like, that's dumb. That's not me. Okay? But... Even if that doesn't happen, I'm going to encourage you, you know, with maybe just pick two or three of these belief statements that you have and lean into somebody in your life. If you're married, the perfect person is your husband or your wife. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, but, but if you'd be willing to be vulnerable and say, you know, I've got a couple of things that come up regularly that I believe uh, are true about me. And you say that to your spouse, to your friend, to your family member. One of two things is likely to happen. They might actually just say to you, me too. I felt the same way. The, and, and there's a tremendous power when that happens, right? Because all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay. The other thing that might happen is when you share what that belief statement is, you might actually hear from them, what? That's not how I see you. And then all of a sudden out comes the truth, right? Okay? So again, so your hash marks could have a next step this week, and that's number three, document the beliefs and thoughts that you have about yourself. And if, if you would be willing to lean into someone that you trust, be willing to share maybe one or two of those things and see what happens. 
The last thing is explore your triggers and vulnerabilities. Um, and here's what I mean. All of us want to be perceived a certain way. Maybe for you it's, I want to be perceived as being beautiful or having my home put together or I don't know what it is, right? And so when, if you want to be perceived that way, but your mother, your mother-in-law, your friends, whatever, don't see you that way, that's an opportunity for shame, okay? And then the converse is true. If there are things that you don't want to be perceived as, and yet people are like, oh, that's you, again, it's a moment of shame. So my wife is the most amazing person. She is creative. She's verbal. She's not someone that's going to come in and organize your closet really well, okay? And so for the longest time, she wanted everyone to, you know, she, because being organized, our culture rewards that, right? And she would say, for the longest time, I felt ashamed because I, you know, the things that I was really good at, no one would pat me on the back for, and I wanted to be perceived as, but wasn't, right? Okay? So you see how this plays out? So th these are some very practical things that you can do in light of what Paul says, be transformed by changing the way you think. And as we go through the week, I'm even going to, through email, give you some other resources, right? Um, why is this important? I want to come back to kickball for a moment. Do you know for, what, age 10 to age 40-something, I, I believed, I'm not athletic, I, just because I could not throw a ball and get the ball to go where I wanted it to go. I could not get the ball in the hoop. I could not catch the ball in my glove. Therefore, I'm not athletic. And at it, somewhere around age 30, I discovered the outdoors, and I became an avid hiker and kayaker. I'm sorry. There's, there's a lot of athleticism in that. I'll take young people who are 18 years old on the trail with me and about, you know, 20 minutes into it, they're, they're, hey, Max, can we take a break now? Now, you're probably going to do the whole shame thing. Well, they're only that because they're just doing video games all day long and they're out of shape. Well, that could be true. Don't shame them, okay? But, but the truth of the matter is, right, it, you know what for me was the game-changing moment was uh, I was helping parents of uh, a member of the church move into their home. This is a few years ago. And their father and their uncle throughout the day kept saying two things. Wow, wow, Max, like, you're really strong. And it was clearly surprising them. <laughs> you know, this is like, you know, I didn't think you, like, wow, you're really strong. And at the end of the day, both of them, the uncle and the dad, man, you just, not only you're strong, but you've got a lot of stamina. Like, I, you know, wow, how old are you again? And, and it was this, and in that moment, for me, I was like, oh, all my life, I've thought I wasn't strong or athletic or whatnot. And the truth of the matter is, right, here's the thing. If I can be wrong about something as silly as whether or not I'm athletic, what else could I be wrong about that's far more important? And for you, right, 
what could you be wrong about where God sees something with clarity and where God's truth is trying to speak to you about who you are that is far more important.